Greetings, and welcome to the Space Cave. A big warg to all of you out there might be more necessary than it has been in the history of this podcast. I hope you're suffed, uh, suffed. I hope you're safely tucked away somewhere, not only in the nether regions of our known universe, but perhaps in the confines of your, your home. I hope you have one, a friend's house, your parents' house, wherever you can be safe and uh, keep your hands to yourself. I hope you are there and not going uh, mad. While doing it, finding things to be uh, creative or productive, or and if you're not, don't beat yourself up. If you're just sitting there streaming shows, it's not that different from reading. You're getting a story told to you. You don't have to read it with your own eyes. There's maybe a little bit more rewarding or something that uh, can calm the voices. It's a little harder to pick up your phone when you're reading a book. So that'd be my two cents. If you're looking for a book to read, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, uh, but The Plague by Camus. Uh, hopefully you've read it. If you have not, that's what I've been recommending to everyone throughout this. I just think the message, the story it tells throughout, seems like it wouldn't be calming at all. There's something about it that's, uh, I think we're all having kind of existential things these days, projections, wondering. We want to know. As humans, we want to have an idea of like, well, this is going to be happening in two weeks, three weeks. Ooh, I can look forward to this. I can look ahead to that. And a lot of those things are up in the air right now. And that might be causing you some turmoil, some stress. (sighs) Just take a deep breath. Just relax. The earth is still spinning around. It's still just crazy that we're on it to begin with, let alone that we have schedules and things that we can rely on as predictable. Try the the plague. See if you like it. And uh, if you're struggling to stay mentally uh, evened out, give me a call. You can message me space underscore cave on twitter you can email directly and uh we'll make sure that you're doing okay getting through this it's a little stressful but i thought what might help is talking to an old friend from the uh, professor blastoff days dr alex platt he's great he's a geneticist teaches at the university of penn he's obviously home right now not going to the university campus and so he had some time so i gave him a call and here's that dr alexander platt how are you doing, buddy? Good. Nice. Uh, we talked a little bit on our first attempt, and who knows how well the Zoom effort is going to go, but we talked a little bit about uh, <clears throat> the uh, the new challenges of being in a quarantine and, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I yeah. guess everyone's kind of probably having those conversations. I would I imagine most conversations are in some way business as usual, like you can only go over it with your friends so many times, like, Oh, this is wild. And then it's kind of, kind of enjoyable when you start talking about whatever else that might be, whether it's sports or books or a million other subjects, just to get your mind off of the news and kind of a weird existence we have. How are you guys doing in your household with that? Are you finding ways to stay occupied and keep your mind off it? Or is it just nonstop? Like, wow, look at this. 
Uh, it's mostly nonstop. Well, look at this. Uh, <laughs> I don't think things are a little different when you got a seven year old around the house. Uh, yeah. But um, so there's a lot of. Uh, oh, gee, we got a homeschool now. <laughs> uh, How has that been? You you didn't really get a lot of advance warning, like, oh, hey, you're you're going to be a homeschool teacher in a few days. Yeah, I mean, the handwriting certainly was on the wall for a while, so. Yeah. It wasn't a total shock when uh, when the hammer dropped, um, but it, it is the kind of thing where, like, all right, we're going to uh, do a project where we culture bacteria from our hands and then wash them and see how well that works, and we're going to, and then you run out of ideas after like three days. <laughs> and then it's and not like, like oh, you have an advanced, you know, public school library in your house. Hopefully you do, but likely, you know, Tenny's already read. Is it okay to say her name? Yes, Tenny. Uh, okay. So uh, identify as non-binary these days, so. Okay. Uh, pronouns are they, them. They, them, okay. So to likely, sh- if they have read all the books in your house, so therefore you're kind of in a, a disadvantaged position to go like, okay, kiddo, well, um... What else do you have? What book did they did they send you home with any new books? And they did. They sent us home with like a dozen books. Oh, that's good. Um, which was nice. Uh, it's not going to last the next thirty weeks or however long we're stuck here, but uh, it is a start. Maybe they'll send you a new supply every few weeks, and then that would get to be kind. Of, you guys are the type of parents that would be ahead of the curve. Like, yeah, we did it. I would imagine a lot of parents that are enjoying this kind of sweatpants and pajamas lifestyle would go, oh, shit, we, we're way behind. Teaching is extremely difficult, especially when you're trying to muster the existential motivation to see the reason for doing it. It does. So there's a lot of Minecraft happening. <laughs> it, maybe this is, a, you know, when this uh, sci-fi projection kind of world people would worry about that, you know, oh, kids are playing too many video games these days. And then all of a sudden something cataclysmic kind of happens and it's not like an atomic bomb went off. It's so, it's so surreal to look and that word's getting used way too much. I'll try to limit that. Um, but it's, it's a hard dichotomy to rationalize in your mind when you look outside, it's not full of smoke. It's not complete chaos it's pretty nice out. Yeah, there's, there's no blizzard there's no hurricane there's right. no earthquake <laughs> yeah and so you're stuck uh, inside the, the water works the yeah. internet works <laughs> <laughs> yeah people that live off grid are probably maybe even not paying that much attention to it like this is why i moved out here i didn't want to worry about uh-huh. that kind of stuff yeah it's a little dicey when Amazon stops bringing the groceries, but well, that's yeah, that's what I think we're we're getting a good look at how that will work if we're living in these little cubes like this in the future. And that cool that the groceries show up, cool that you can be online streaming stuff, watching whatever you want, playing video games, communicating with friends while you're playing the video games, recording it, sharing those videos, setting up something. The idea of this in the past, and you know that seems to be an overwhelming thought that people have all the time, especially like in stand up. We used to do this. It used to be like this, but we're really not that far away from if you recorded something on a camcorder to get it into 
any kind of device, even a VHS tape, and then send it was really time consuming. And now we can share baby's first steps, all these things that are really beneficial right now. I try to look at that side of it. Like we live in the best time possible for something like this to happen in that it we're already kind of communicating that way. There's just a more certain defined boundary as to why we're doing it. Yeah. And, you know, um, Penny is FaceTiming with her first grade uh, buddies and the class is meeting online to have circle time in the mornings. Um, (laughs) And all right, we can social distance, but, you know, you don't actually lose all the social yeah. It just gets weird. It gets weird because it always felt before like it wasn't a necessity. You know, it felt even people communicating on Facebook, however jaded people were about any of the platforms or sites or, or cynical about them, you would see someone maybe a little older, like a relative get on and go, this is so nice. I can, I can find friends from high school. I can communicate with my sister who lives across the country. This is so great. And if you watch that and you saw one of those comments, you could be a little cynical, like, eh, but this is going to breed this new type of communication that isn't real. It's not a hug. It's not looking in someone's eyes. It's not truly feeling what it is like to to have human connection, like true human connection. And yet now we're put in these situations. I think people are feeling that. I think there's a sense of when we're communicating with each other just on the phone or something that's like, ah, you're still here. That feels good. Totally. Have you spoken with many like epidemiologists, people like that? Or are you, or do your circles uh, overlap with anyone like that to, to give, to reassure you, to give you, you strike me from what I know of you. And it's been a few years since we spoke, but you like getting in there and knowing the details of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, there's, um, I, I don't directly uh, have a line except for um, my father is uh, an epidemiologist. Um, That's a pretty direct likely. line. So, um, and uh, so his specialty is uh, hospital-acquired illness and how to prevent it, mm-hmm. um, which apparently is a huge part of the problem that they're having in Italy right now, uh, and not yet here, but it certainly will be. Um, and uh, through him, I I have met and interacted with. Uh, quite a while in the past, this uh, Mark Lipsitch guy who you see all over the news and is uh, clearly leading some of the uh, insights into what we we can expect um, and what we need to be doing. Uh, Though I haven't spoken to the guy personally in in a decade. Um, And also... I haven't spoken to personally, but um, in a decade or so. But uh, I, I went to grad school with uh, Trevor Bedford, who's a geneticist out at the uh, Fred Hutchinson Research Center in Seattle. Um, and he's really been all over uh, modeling the uh, disease spread um, and was one of these first guys who was saying, no, we, we, we don't have... Um, you know, we've we've tested one percent of the likely infections, and you can tell that because we sequenced this guy's disease and this guy's disease, and we know that they got them from the same pool of disease, but they didn't get them from the same guy, and the pool of disease had to have been 
this large to support this kind of uh, genetic diversity, which means it must have been segregating within the population for this long. And if you back out the numbers, that means there are this many effect infections walking around the city. Um, so again, um, a guy I know personally, but uh, certainly have no direct connection to, and I'm, I'm reading the same Twitter feeds that everybody else is. Do you, and when I feel like there's not that it's um, to say someone's right or wrong, but there's so many sources these days and everyone's sharing whatever makes the most sense to them or comforts them maybe. And it seems like to some degree people are not drawn to, but when they see something that projects the worst possible outcome, they want to share that. You see something on the other end that are people like, no, no, look at this. And early, like before there was any kind of lockdown, I was talking to someone that was like, well, I've been like paying attention to what all the epidemiologists are saying. And the, I, the infection of 60 million and with the fatality rate of X, well, you know, three to four, et cetera, could be this many people. Oh my God, can you imagine And the overflow of hospitals? And then with the modeling and all the parameters you can change, whether that's isolation, uh, hand washing, quarantine, you know, uh, I already said that with isolation, but all these different things as a, as a society we can do. But the thing that gives me hope here in the United States is our ingenuity, people mass manufacturing, turning things over. And I know there's been some misinformation about like, oh, these auto plants are going to start immediately making respirators. And then it looks like, well, that's actually going to be months away. But maybe textile factories can make masks. Maybe people at home, there was that super genius on a yacht that sprung into action. Like, I've just been laying here getting a tan for 10 years, but I made all my money in science. I'll get to work. And the idea that you could swab at home and then with your iPhone take a photo of it and based on the color profile on the swab, potentially get results in 30 minutes. Who knows if that'll happen? But the idea that it exists, that it's people getting called to action, like I'll solve this, gives me some level of hope of like, yeah, yeah, we're pretty good. We'll, we'll independently, someone will do do something amazing here. You know, it's certainly possible. I uh, I don't have quite the, uh, the rosy outlook you do. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, it. It is clearly this kind of thing where, um, you know, society, if it chooses to uh, keep working, will keep working. Um, right? We we could take this opportunity to burn it all down, uh, and it certainly seems like there are some people who are pushing for that. Um, but short of that, like we, as a species, will survive this as a democratic nation can survive this. Uh, there are other things that are probably a graver threat uh, to that at the moment. Um, but um, but it's going to suck. That, <laughs> right? That a lot of people are going to get really sick and a lot of people are going to die. And we could... With, there's a massive uh, range on both of those but they sort of range from it's going to be really bad for a lot of people to it's going to be catastrophic for a whole lot of people. Yeah. And, and what we do will really push us pretty far one way or the other uh, between those. Absolutely. Um, 
I consider both yeah. my parents to be pretty intelligent. I mean, your father being an epidemiologist, you're likely not having to talk him into certain things. But I've dealt with or communicated with so many of my friends that are like, I don't know what is going on, but my mom is just convinced that it's okay to go here and here and here. And then I feel like everyone's got this weird dread, this weird sense of every day inside of 14 that we talk to someone we love, especially someone older, that might not be at the front of the line uh, if hospitals are having to make tough decisions. Every day after day one, we're kind of on this countdown up to 14. of like, you haven't gone anywhere. You haven't done anything. You're, you're safe, right? And then day whatever, the, the, this fear that they're suddenly like, I got a tickle in my throat. And then that projection you're talking about of, oh, they just didn't take it seriously for whatever reason. As a nation, just even people that thought they were, they're like, I, I'm not going to crowds, but I saw Carol and I gave her a hug. And you're like, that, what are you doing? These feelings I, that we're all having, it it's just feels like there is a potential for it to snowball to where we're all just watching through our windows like, it's too late. There's nothing we can do. I feel right. And, you know, it's... The uncomfortable part of it is that yeah, it might have been too late even then. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and it certainly will be for a lot of people, right? There's a lot of people who are already sick and, and it's one of these diseases that grows so fast and has these sort of inborn lag times of, the stuff you're experiencing is the stuff that happened two weeks ago. Yeah. And the stuff that you could do now is just as important two weeks from now, uh, because there still aren't that many cases. There aren't that many people in hospitals. We can deal with this. Um, can we deal with what's coming in two weeks? We don't know. Um, will we, to be able to take these two weeks to make what's coming in four weeks better. I, I sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, like with an STD, people can see it. They can understand the, the trace back of it, but this, it feels like an STD that you not only got from everyone you shook hands with, hugged, were within six feet of every surface you saw. You also had sex with that that you touched communally. Oh, I, I forgot I touched that doorknob. I had sex with that doorknob. So 14 days later, thinking back to all of the things you had sex with would be impossible. So everyone getting it would be like, I have no idea. I don't know what I did or how. I only know now to follow these guidelines. And that's always been a weird thing for me when people have a child born with some atypical kind of uh, diagnosis, they become advocates for it, which of course you would. And then they must have this just irate feeling of like, how does everyone not know about this thing that affects one in every three million children? Everyone should know this. This is the worst thing ever. And then you go, ah, sorry, it hasn't happened to me. And then people get cancer and they become advocates. Everyone should get screened and tested. And then we go, ah, yeah, I, I think we're aware of it, but not on the same level of like, it's just so weird to watch people at spring break and going out in clubs and, and aggressively doing it. I was drawing these comics and putting them on my Instagram and a guy got really upset, unfollowed. So I looked at his page and of course there's a picture of him in a bar somewhere like, I'm not scared of this virus. This place is packed. And I just thought like, oh man, this this is like an STD where people are 
trying to show it who's boss by going out and having sex with everybody almost as if to say like it doesn't really exist or i won't die from it that that's been odd it is and i i gotta say i i feel like there was a turning point about a week ago where at least it started to enter the public consciousness that the question about going out isn't is it safe it's is it responsible yeah um right because yeah the 20 year old at spring break is probably going to be fine right Um, but the point is if you're out there amplifying the infection rates your grandma won't be yeah well and then too to go back to grandma won't be and let's examine who this 20 year old is let's say they have parents who have a decent uh nest egg they've got a home they've got some assets but they get it and they're not even of an age where they should be worried but they go to the hospital and they're too far back in line they don't get respirators they pass away the 20 year old is fine no longer has grandparents didn't have a big extended family with aunts and uncles is suddenly essentially an orphan in the world inherits that money now exists in a world where there's a crushing depression afterward and all the favorite bars and places they used to go hang out have all closed down so now they have a certain amount of money to, to buy a house where interest rates are nothing and just sit there and live a very quiet life. Or maybe they put some of that capital to work and they make a bunch of money, but they don't have any people to lean on. All of their friends were more so like in the service industry. All of their jobs disappeared. They became essentially homeless or moved in with their parents who maybe were lucky enough to survive it. So this 20-year-old isn't just living in the exact same world. Like, I brushed it off. It was the flu. Everything's fine. They could live in like a 1931, 32-ish kind of U.S. where they don't know where work is or how they're going to get it. And if they had a nest egg that they inherited, maybe they'll be lucky in that regard to buy them a little time. But they're being so selfish and so irresponsible for like this worst-case outcome future that they could be preparing. Yeah. I mean, right. That. Uh, you know, the uh, the proper response to the terrorist attack was to go out and show the terrorists that you're not afraid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the virus doesn't care. <laughs> you're, you're not showing it anything. Yeah. We got to show them you're uh, not just, afraid of it. Yeah. Good. Show it that you're at home <laughs> by yourself <laughs> with well, a bucket of soap. <laughs> Well, yeah, tell me about that. The the lipids that it's made of, soap essentially being like a fatty, as I understand, soap coming from fats and things, lipids. This is about as far as I understand the nature of a virus and how it wants to exist. It's just, just a little bundle wrapped inside lipids of little proteins. And how is it trying to replicate itself? What's in there? Is there RNA? What's going on in this little droplet of this virus? Yeah, so I, I believe this is an RNA virus, though. I'm not certain of that. Um, there's all sorts of different kinds and structures of viruses. And generally, the idea is it's a little bit of genetic material, either RNA or DNA, um, that uh, depending on the kind of virus, coronavirus has a, a lipid uh, envelope around it. So it's just a few genes, essentially, floating in a little, it's kind of like a cell wall, Um that's that lipid layer. It's it's similar to the lipid layer that makes up the outside of, of your cells. Okay. Um, and what it doesn't have is 
all of the other machinery to replicate itself. So a virus particle floating around out there, um, it can't make more viruses. Uh, it can only do that by hijacking your cell's um, DNA replication machinery. Mm-hmm. So it, um, it attaches to a particular receptor that the cells sort of along your lungs have. That's why it particularly uh, affects the re- respiratory tract. Um, these receptors exist on some other organs as well, but it, it seems to primarily uh, come in through your lungs. Um, it gets into those cells, and then it starts using those cells' machineries. Um, and it gets in there by this um, cell membrane sort of opens up. It merges kind of with your cells. It sticks its stuff in there. Uh, and these genes that it has are basically just genes that call over all of the uh, cells machinery that normally work for copying genes. Um, and, you know, so it, it makes copies of itself. It, uh, it makes copies of the stuff it needs to make that lipid uh, membrane. And then it sort of breaks open the cell and runs away. And then um, our, and, our bodies, as we sense, if our immune system is up to speed, sense this happening go, hey, what's going on in sector two? There's a lot of cells being hijacked. Double-stranded RNA and stuff floating around that looks weird. <laughs> we just send um, a bunch of white blood cells to go over and kind of gather around it. And be like, hey, hey, guys, cool it. Yeah. Uh, so you start mounting this uh, inflammation response. Uh, and what you can't do is... Uh, send out a bunch of antibodies to glue onto it, stick it all together, and wait for a big white blood cell to come and eat the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is how you would like to deal with it. Uh, and you can't do this because you don't have those antibodies. You haven't made them. You've never seen this virus before. Right. Um, it's just been hanging out in the bats and the civets or whatever. Um, so all you've got is sort of these general... Uh, inflammation responses available, which are far less effective. Uh, And you have to sort of start from scratch and figuring out how to actually recognize this particular set of molecules um, that's causing trouble and to be able to specifically attack it. In in the movie Contagion, a a bat falls uh, under like a pig in a farm somewhere and bites it. And it's just the perfect combination of like, I don't even know what the bat would be essentially giving to like how these anomalies, these irregularities exist and work their way into our system. And then I'm blanking on his name, the doctor in China who first brought it to attention in like late December. Would he, what would he be looking at? He's seeing symptoms of this doesn't look like the flu this isn't typical pneumonia this is a weird respiratory thing that's really aggressive brings it up to who the the board of health in china if there is anything like that and they kind of uh i don't know what they do they they squish it a little bit they they try to push it down or uh and that's maybe where the blame is coming from now but going back like how did it start? How do these things birth into the world? They say theirs was like a pangolin. And two, what did he notice? What do you think, like, if he's in, you know, he's not looking at slides, is he? Is he going to a microscope with this stuff? Or is he just seeing it in the way patients are behaving? 
Uh, yeah. So I mean, look, look, I'm giving you the uh, entirely the armchair infectious disease doc version of this, which is me making stuff up. Um, <laughs> That's what we're here for. But, but I, I mean, I expect what happens is, yeah, you see something that doesn't look like the flu and you can test for the flu, right? And you can sort of rule out things that you know that might be causing these diseases. Um, you also have experience with SARS and MERS and these sort of previous rounds of uh, coronaviruses causing these respiratory distresses. So there's certainly um, uh, knowledge that you already have of things that can be doing this, um, even if it's not exactly what we find. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that you can know to look for. Um, and you can certainly, um, I, I expect that what happened was they essentially sequenced everything in you know, all, all the RNA in the guy's uh, genome. And they perhaps even specifically were pulling out. Um, you can, you know, if you're doing PCR, this uh, technology that amplifies a specific uh, set of DNA or RNA, you can say, all right, is it something like SARS? Uh, let's check for that. And you can get primers, which are little stretches of, RNA that match at least pretty closely. They don't have to be exact matches of bits of something like SARS. Um, you run it through one of these machines. You say, amplify everything that is attached to something that matches these bits that I'm throwing in here. Mm -hmm. uh, and if all of a sudden you get a ton of stuff, you say, well, there really was something that matched that in there. And you can sequence that bit and say, oh, it looks almost exactly like uh, SARS-CoV, which is already in the public databases um, and has been there for 10 years. Um, yeah. But it's just a little different. And that's how you end up with SARS-CoV-2. I was talking on a podcast, uh, someone else's podcast recently, about the nature of evolution, adaptation, uh, the, the atypical things, the an anomalies that happen that result in, wow, that, that bug looks exactly like the stick in its habitat that it can hide on. That's incredible. It feels like there was a purposeful drive within the DNA of that species. And you go, well, it's just thousands of years and one was born, like mutated in this way and those genes carried on. You go, And then I would always push back, which is wrong, but just like, yeah, but it feels so, like giraffes just kept wanting to eat higher and they just kept getting bigger necks. It just is, a, to me, is always a silly premise and yet... This this disease that comes back like we failed the first time with SARS. We got to regroup, gentlemen. We've got to come at them with something just a little beefed up. It's like SARS on steroids or something like that. That's not at all what happened. But why is it so similar? Why would like this family line essentially go away of SARS and yet now there's a new cousin just randomly? Or was it living somewhere else that we just couldn't find? Oh, right. It was in the bats. Right. These are um, these are not human viruses. We are not the reservoir for these viruses. Mm -hmm. um, th there are other coronaviruses that, that we are the reservoir for. These are ah, there's like four of them. Um, but those are ones we get like the flu shot for those, those more standard ones. 
yeah, so you don't get, we don't have oh, vaccines right. for them, um, but they don't make you that sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give you the sniffles. Yeah. Uh, so this is something that hangs out and presumably gives bats the sniffles. Um, but with viruses, the numbers of viruses out there, and I'm talking about the individual organism, not the different kinds of viruses, the number of, we say, virions, the virus particles, is, um, is such an astronomical quantity that they're sort of trying everything all the time just because there's so many of them. And then even uh, pretty good uh, copying, pretty faithful copying, means that there's so many different versions that are all just slightly different. And they cover sort of all the ways you can be just slightly different. Um, and right, it's not trying to get you. And it's not even trying to get the bats. It's just the ones that do get you, uh, get you. Mm-hmm. and and that's how right it's something that normally this thing doesn't infect humans at all but yeah. one of them came out a little weird um and that's one out of billions and billions came out a little weird and sure um you know one out of any of right it, it can be such a uh sort of ignorably small probability that this would happen but there's so many viruses that that almost everything they do is sort of unimaginably rare uh, that uh, one of them stuck and it made its way through a pangolin or a civet cat or whatever they're saying these days um, into a marketplace. And it actually did infect humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not clear that this is actually any good for the disease. Presumably not. If we actually start trying to eradicate it, um, it's not clear that uh, it's a particularly great strategy for the disease. Um, you know, diseases by and large do better and sort of stick around in populations when they don't actually make people that sick and instead let you go out and live your life and infect other people. Uh, it's in part because it's so new that it can spread quickly and be really bad for you. And if it makes you really sick, um, that's probably an indication that it's not going to have very long legs because people don't feel good and they don't go sneezing on other people. And then uh, they start getting... Really, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, which is really what a virus would prefer. It wants you out there with the sniffles. Just keep spreading it around like, yeah, we're here forever. We're not going anywhere. Whereas like this new hotshot shows up and everyone's flooding into hospitals and or really having difficulty breathing. And they go, oh, you you, you blew your guns, man. You shot too big and, and now they're going to wipe you out. But the wiping right. of them out means, so going back to contagion, and kind of tying into what you're saying of like, okay, so it did happen. We don't know where it came from. There's some speculation, maybe a pangolin or something. People are quick to blame those marketplaces where they're trading goods. And it just, and I think in Contagion, it's something kind of similar to that where the chef who has been exposed to it touches someone, then this, then this, then this. And before, just that it was localized in Wuhan. And maybe there's limited travel from there. Uh, but there was a likelihood that someone was going to go somewhere that had 
this 14 day time bomb on them that they were touching 10 other people. So even if we had paid attention to the news, which I think we're all kind of kicking ourselves now, like, yeah, we knew these stories for months. Why were we not doing more stuff? Why were we not like, and maybe that's because these things come up throughout the years and everyone freaked out at Ebola and then nothing really happened. And maybe we've gotten a little complacent going like, oh, there'll be another little thing like swine flu that lingers around, but it's just basically a heightened version of the flu. It never gets crazy. It never gets like this. Maybe that lowered our, our guard. But in, to flip right. that around to like contagion, where you have this this thing now that came in and shot its guns, and we think like, oh, you blew it now. We've seen you. We want to get rid of you. We want to eradicate you. We're so far from this vaccine that we in the movie, they just kind of have to sit it out and just kind of wait for months and months. And that is a likelihood that people right now are going like, I still want the Olympics to happen. Maybe basketball will come back. And where do you fall on that line? Are you like, oh, we're we're waiting for the vaccine. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So I mean, I I I, I, I don't know, um, but I, it's not going to stop me from giving you an opinion, um, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, there's um, there's a handful of ways these things can end, right? You can you can either sort of get everybody sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that'll take a couple months if you just let it, uh, massive numbers of people are dead. Uh, not just the people who got sick, but anybody who needed to go anywhere near a hospital, um, you, know, you, uh, had an accident in your basement gym and, uh, and you busted up your leg Well, you're stuck. And if you go septic, that's your problem. We don't have treatments for you anymore. Um, yeah, sorry about your cancer. Uh, just try to write it out. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, it's not a, a viable answer, um, but it is an answer that means that, yeah, okay, 95% of people come through the other side and you're done. Um, and that would really suck. Uh, at the other end, right, you can sort of stay in your apartment for a year and a half and then somebody comes by and says, all right, here's the injection. Um, we won. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems uh, unlikely. There's intermediate um, processes too, right? If you do get uh, antiviral therapy, uh, maybe it's possible that we could get this disease to be something that you get and mostly don't die from, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? That you could actually treat it. And now instead of 3% of people getting killed by this disease, it's, um, you know, half a percent or it sort of does turn into the flu. It's certainly not inconceivable. Um, the other strategies you hear being talked about are, uh, well, what if we, um, sort of open up schools just enough to get enough people sick that we can still take care of them, um, and it doesn't overwhelm the system and we then sort of shut things down again. We take care of those people and then we open things back up again. Yeah. And we sort of keep things going sort of as hot as possible without overwhelming the system. And presumably you do this while you increase the capacity of the system so that uh, you can actually handle more and more people. 
um, that that might get us through quicker with people still getting sick, but people sort of managing. Um, and you could imagine this uh, kind of system taking over where, um, yeah, you're still uh, having sex with all the doorknobs, but there's a little device that you're carrying around in your pocket that can tell you exactly who's touched every doorknob. Uh, and Google already has that information. And, and maybe they could sort of send you the text that says, you touched a doorknob that uh, was touched by this guy who just turned up sick and maybe you need to go quarantine yourself. Um, and that we can actually do sort of massive intrusive government surveillance um, <laughs> to try to trace back contacts and um, right. You don't do this sort of one at a time and you don't do it with pencil and paper, um, but there's already people tracking you. Maybe we could use that to actually help us out here. Um, so there, you know, there's, there's sort of like the, a bunch of endpoints. And the thing that frustrates me is that we don't have uh, a competent governmental system that can help us guide towards one or the other or make them easier or more palatable. Yeah. None of them are great, right? Yeah. They, they all involve quite a bit of misery. Uh, there's sort of several different kinds of misery and there are different magnitudes of misery. Um, and, but um, one of them's going to happen yeah. and then it'll be over. But it sure would be nice to have sort of a vision of this is the way we're trying to deal with it. Um, so we are trying to get you the at-home test you can take every morning. Um, or we're trying to get, you know, move heaven and earth to double the size of our medical facilities. Um so that we can sort of manage to cover everybody who gets sick or, or something where we actually knew what we were aiming for um, instead of just letting end games happen to us. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, I think that's why I, I imagine a very wealthy um, inventor type on a super yacht kind of waking up to this bugle of alarm that is one, I can help people too. I can make a lot of money from this as opposed to in China where when you see the footage of them, you know, spraying the entire street and sidewalk with disinfectant, like we're going scorched earth here. A government can make that decision and the citizens just go, Oh, I guess that's what they decided. Okay. Whereas here as a democracy, obviously people that are like to go back to your thing of safety and security, I would always bring that up of like 23 and me, you know, they're getting all of our genetic samples willingly to a point where they would have a database where if you touch a railing somewhere, maybe it has a little scanner in the future and we'd go, that's really creepy that it could register where you were on the planet, but it also might recognize the genome sequencing of a virus that was sitting on it as well. And now tell you like, that's there, this is there. I mean, that's a little far off, but to, you know, extend that from the, the feeling that humans have always had, which is why do I have to wear the seatbelt? 
oh, it'll keep you safe. I don't, I want to trust in myself. I want to b- drive and trust that I'm going to be okay. I'll maneuver. And then they get hit unexpectedly and like, whew, thank goodness I was wearing this safety belt. And if you had any sort of a jostling, every time you get in a car, that safety belt feels really secure and you feel real weird driving without it. We get accustomed to these levels of security. But when we watch movies of people in the future where it's retina scans and self-driving cars and you're never touching anything, you're getting in a lot of like, like whooshing doors and things like that that just, and you speak to it, fourth floor. And they go, how to get to that point? What you just talked about, we could absolutely do through through democracy. We could all vote on like, yeah, it sucks. It's going to take away some of our personal liberties, but we won't have to go through that coronavirus scare again. That was worse than any level of security that we'd be without in the future. And I don't know how people would feel about that. I think if there was a cohesive front uh, at the top of the president coming out and saying, like, here's what we're doing the people who are now seeming to be the ones that are racing out on spring break or going to bars or I'll show you seem to be the people that would respond the most to him. They would be the ones that would go, Oh, that's what we're doing. Okay. And and people that are already doing that would go, Oh, that makes sense. Great. It seems like there could be some unity there to go. Here's our move. We're going to have schools go into session in these staggered intervals. And we're going to just keep this curve really flat until the vaccine is ready. But the way it currently feels is if we let any level of society out into the playground of, of life, so to speak, of just life as we know it, that we risk a giant bu- a boom again and a giant spike in the curve. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds about right. That, um, you know, we've got, we've got one good tactic that sort of puts things off. Um, and puts off uh, a lot of the worst repercussions, uh, it, but it doesn't fix things, and it doesn't work if almost anybody doesn't play along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's has to be this extreme community involvement, and we need sort of a response to be making use of that time. Uh, you know, if we all just sit inside for a couple of weeks and then go outside again, like we've just delayed things for a couple of weeks and nobody's actually any better off. Right. Did but ever- if we can sit inside long enough that people say, all right, this is how we're actually going to handle it as opposed to just putting it off. Um, things will go a lot better than they will otherwise. Yeah. To, to look at it from the perspective of, like you were saying, and this isn't what the virus wants, but it does need a reservoir. It needs hosts, and it wants nothing more than them being out there shaking hands and hanging out with each other. So to not give the virus what it wants and sit in our houses and be like, this is really boring, in a way that if it worked, we would go like, that threat wasn't even real. They duped us. There certainly would be people feeling that way. And I think the rest of us would be content, like, great, have your blog, have your meetings, exposing the deep state of all this. We don't give a shit. It worked. And you can believe what you want. But us quarantining worked. The virus wouldn't want that. It reminds me of when you're like a kid and you play Jinx. And the one thing that can let whoever it is, your friend, your sibling, out of jinx and, and silence is if you speak or say their name. And so some people just get jinxed and they're like, ah, I'm getting out of here. And they go play with a puzzle or something. They play with something. 
The other style is to be just a pest quietly, <laughs> putting, putting their finger right in front of your eye, maybe giving you wet willies, whatever they're doing that makes you incensed, but they're not talking. The only thing that can get them talking, which will inevitably be worse, is to say their name. And for whatever reason, people right now just are desperately wanting to say the name and just let them out. Whereas the virus, I think we just need to be quiet for a bit. Just shut up. Don't say the name. Everyone sit in your house for a bit and it will go away. Yeah. And at the same time, right, we need to, we, we actually do need to figure this out because uh, it's not like, okay, we get through this for better, you know, in a better way or a worse way, but we'll get through it even inactively. Um, but it's going to happen again. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we, so SARS came through, swine flu, MERS, um, HIV. These, these communicable diseases aren't, aren't the anomaly. They, they are fairly regular. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so much of human history is this sort of trade-off between if everybody works together and lives together in sort of big societies, we have these massive advantages of uh, sort of scale and networking and um, sort of resource sharing. And, and it's an incredibly powerful tool that most animals don't, don't have. Um, but on the other side, communicable disease. Yeah. And, and these have been sort of constant battles between these two forces um, for, for really all of human history. And that's not going to stop. Um, that as long as we are a social creature, um, as long as we have sort of large civilizations, we're going to be faced with these diseases. Yeah, um, and some of them will be easy and fizzle out. Some of them will be easy and just hang around, and we deal with them. And you know, what is it? Every ten, fifteen years, something's going to be kind of nasty. Um, yeah, and you could imagine this being a hell of a lot worse, right? I mean, how much would people be flipping out if uh, infants were? Uh, we're suffering the kind of mortality rates that the elderly are. Um, yeah, the 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 pro life crowd that's out on these spring break things and going to bars and stuff. Uh, you know, people are pregnant; their immune system is uh, impacted. It seems extraordinarily selfish. Like you're talking about, like for whatever reason, people can go. I'm not going to see my grandma for a while. Who cares? But if yeah, if it were babies or something like that, which it effectively is, it's just they're not the the ones they pretend to care about the most the unborn ones stay inside um but you know a disease that that had sort of mortality like the flu times 10 uh, you know the way this disease seems to be for the 65 year olds mm -hmm. um if it were the flu times 10 for two-year-olds like there would be blood in the streets and people would have fled for the hills. Yeah. 
the uh, um, the inability. And there's no reason that it couldn't be, or the next one couldn't be. Right. And that's why when now people look back and go, well, we can't look back with regret. We just got to move forward and we're doing the best we can now. But slashing the CDC budget and getting rid of a pandemic response team is is like slashing the seatbelts out of a car that is driving into territory that you know every 15 years or so you're going to need that seatbelt. It's just outrageously, outrageously reckless and stupid and for us to just look past them and like, ah, what are you going to do is maddening to me. I get really frustrated with that, that this this couldn't have been prevented, but it absolutely could have been managed in a better way. That uh, There's this documentary called Bird Brain, I highly recommend, where mm-hmm. uh, birds will generationally pass along information to each other. So this guy like kidnaps one and then three generations later of crows when he walks outside wearing this mask that he kidnapped the one with years ago the trees light up with the birds go ah, ah, it's him it's that kidnapper guy and we don't seem to as a species learn quite the same way. maybe there's just too many of us we seem to keep reelecting the same maniacal um leaders these tyrannical maniacs these you know uh, megalomaniacs and stuff over and over again that one after another we go oh geez this is a lot like however many years ago we just don't learn the lessons from history but if we like the birds had a thing almost like the fire danger today when you're going into any national forest as this little smoky the bear lever like oh it's orange heads up gang oh boy it's red it's fire season heads up everybody if we had a sort of like, hey, everyone, it's Corona yellow. And then 10 years from now, people are like, oh, I'm washing my goddamn hands. Because there's this clip of George Carlin that was getting passed around of like, he warned us about coronavirus. But the whole clip is him being like, I don't wash my hands. I don't get worried about germs. I build up my immune system. I'm tough. I came from a time where kids did this and this and this old kind of like, I'm tough because I don't wash my hands. And it's so cringy. And I love George Carlin. But that doesn't mean that you have to just blindly go like, well, whatever he said is great. There are things that people that we admire and respect are going to say and have said that we're not going to do well given the test of time. This is one of them in that, yeah, sure, you don't maybe have to be maniacal about washing your hands all the time. But if we had, like the crows in the tree, kind of a global term of, hey, heads up, everyone, there's a thing. We're tracking it. It's here. It's an orange, so just heads up, everyone. More distancing, more hand washing. That would maybe last, what, three years after this is over? And then, of course, we'd forget, and we'd do it again. It's it's true. I mean, I, I, I do have to interject that we learn a ton from our previous generations. It's probably the single greatest thing that we do as a species. I mean, how, how much better is your... Uh, is your cell phone than the last cell phone? Well, it's, I mean, I get that. Like, yeah, yeah. of course. The, we, we On the shoulders of giants, we're kind of always advancing, yes. But these these group missteps, the the kind of uh, the way we overlook things, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to say we're, we're just getting like dumber or something like that. Uh, but, um, right, I mean, certainly for the next few years, I expect that we will have great flu seasons that everybody knows how to wash their hands now um, that people are going to bump elbows more uh, that people will wear masks if they feel a sniffle. Um, um, and that's actually going to be a great, um, 
you know, a great boon to a lot of the other disease that we've just sort of muddled through with. Uh, will it last more than three years? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I share some of your pessimism, but uh, uh, there certainly is going to be some lessons learned and some real carryover uh, for the kinds of diseases that we do face on a regular basis. That's a little tough to stay jazzed up for these things over the next 10, 15 years. But yeah. Uh, yeah. To be diligent and vigilant and all that stuff is, yeah, we, we will lower our guard a little bit and I don't even know guard fully up uh, how effective will be because it is something like this so silent once it takes off you know the the sort of pressing go on on whatever button it would be uh 14 days later you know the amount of people that that little cluster could already be and where they could be is um you know by the time you sound the alarm saying it's orange or whatever is it even is it able to are you able to put the lid back on so to speak it seems unlikely it does, but you know, if we actually do have another decade to prepare for the next one, you know, we might be faster at developing vaccines, and we might be a lot faster at developing quick, easy, uh, scalable testing. Uh, we might be a lot faster at being able to do the kind of track and trace you need to at scale, um, and we might actually have much better tools if we're willing to spend the effort and resources to develop them. Yeah, hopefully. That'd be great. I believe, and I feel that way. That doesn't seem outlandish or crazy. It seems like we we do learn from our mistakes that way. And then these things evolve. Like this is, like we were kind of saying, like SARS, or I was saying, like, you know, a cousin that uh, sort of steroided up or something like that, that it'll it'll come back and we'll just have to keep beefing up. Because can we guess them? Can we guess ahead and be like, we should be prepared for this. I mean, are there epidemiologists or like virologists who would uh, mix things up in a Petri dish and be like, oh, this this would kill the whole planet because we want to avoid I that. Certain, I certainly, there are, uh, there's an entire field of emerging infectious diseases that are trying to monitor what's brewing in the bats and the birds and the all these other organisms that we come in contact with. Uh, which ones have uh, obvious potential for a widespread problem. And this is why you can go and look up a Bill Gates TED Talk from 10 years ago and hear him saying, look, we're facing a deadly threat of a pandemic of a uh, upper respiratory tract illness that spreads like this. Um, and it's the kind of thing where, yeah, you don't, you're not going to know the specific virus and you're not going to be able to have a vaccine stockpiled for something. Uh, but there's a lot of sort of basic epidemiology that you could already have in place. Mm -hmm. um, say, look, we, we don't know exactly what kind of disease it is, but, but we know how to shut things down effectively and uh, we, we know how to limit spread and we know how to keep people safe. Um, and those kinds of things it can be very broadly applicable. Um, and there's, there's no reason not to be implementing those things or uh, developing those things. Um, when we know that these kinds of extremely destructive events are going to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Doesn't it feel kind of strange? I mean, if you just looked at it like objectively, we all have people we're very worried about. We're all very subjectively attached to this because it matters for our loved ones, for the state of all of our financial well-being, and many, many, many other factors. But if you just looked at like the planet itself and how good of a job we do, it seems like, of looking out into the darkness and saying, there's likely some sort of meteor that could be headed. We're on it. We've got everything mapped out. We got a good idea of what's coming toward us. We protect ourselves that way. We have, uh, you know, seismo- seismograph things. We have, we have Doppler. We've got all these different tools we use to monitor the skies and the ground underneath us and the space outside of us, well into the the depths of our solar system, and go. I think we're pretty safe. And it feels like these. If that's the macro level of the scale and these little tiny viruses are the micro scale, we're pretty good at those too. We've probably got thousands of samples and prototypes locked away in freezers somewhere of like, this is everything we've prepared for. We think this one's likely. And then one slips through the cracks like this. And it seems like the cycle, the natural cycle of life that, yeah, the animals are trying to eat us. They're trying to eat the grass. We're trying to eat them. We're trying to suck up all the resources. It's just a free for all. Yeah. Asteroids are just a random amount of chaos that are going to smash into us. Earthquakes are going to happen because the plates, everything is just constant entropy at all times. And we're here within it, like setting our schedules like, oh, it's almost Christmas. You know, we get used to like the mundane and monotonous way that life is when in reality, we're holding off all of these chaotic things at all times. Then it doesn't seem crazy that one of these things slipped through the cracks. No, it doesn't. Uh, And... And there are plenty of threats out there. And this is the kind of thing that, yeah, the uh, climate change people have their hair on fire because they say, look, we, you know, there's lots of random events out there that can be a problem. And we spend a lot of effort uh, trying to prevent them. Mm -hmm. But there's also things out there that we know for sure are happening, will happen, are in the process of happening. And people um, refuse to lift a finger. and there, there's a real disconnect there as well. Yeah. Well, normally in this uh, in this podcast, I would pause it and, and record um, a little bit more later. But with this being an ongoing, weekly, dramatically changing thing, I think it's probably a better idea to stop here. But if we're in the same sort of uh, house arrest situation in the near future, maybe we can touch base again and see where things are if you're up for that you've got the time sure thing i'm not going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah i am locked in so i really appreciate you taking the time to do this and any any kind of closing thoughts before we check in to what the next week's going to hold for us any words of wisdom any thoughts you want to share any projections anything Uh, i don't know i'm uh i'm here just waiting for somebody to say here's the strategy um you know i hear a lot of people saying here's a tactic for dealing with this, this, or this. Um, And I would really just feel so much better when somebody says, you know what, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we're going to try to get through this. Uh, I haven't heard it yet, but I feel like, I feel like the people who are trying to get us to those answers are being louder, are being amplified. um, And, I, I do have some optimism that that we will 
be on a better path in the near future. I hope you're right, man. Well, I guess we'll check in in the in the near future and see if if a plan has emerged or maybe good old fashioned uh, human ingenuity has uh, interjected itself into the mix and changed the trajectory in some way. Who knows? But I, I'm look forward to to some good news and and a plan, like you're saying. So, Doctor Platt, thank you so much. It's good to, good to chat with you, buddy. Good to catch up a bit. Let's do it again. Sounds good. All right. See you, man. Bye now. Well, we'll wait and see. We've got uh, a week to wait. I'll try to do some uh, Patreon in between, maybe just a little short updates thing, and hopefully things to take your mind off of this. This... Uh, talking with him, I didn't want to f- overwhelm anybody with dread or anything like that. There's plenty of information and data being uh, spewed out into the world these days, but it's nice to talk to an old friend and uh, catch up a bit and also um, just share some ideas and get some insight. Sometimes it's nice to hear uh, someone else's thoughts and maybe that, you know, isn't it nice? I think on this show you hear it sometimes. People get caught up and like, oh, there's too many humans. We're overpopulated. We're going to ruin everything. And then someone will come on and be like, no, no, no. Here's this great bit of technology we have that's eliminating this. And worldwide, this is going to change literacy levels and this. And then we'll, whatever it might be, like the book Abundance, things of that nature, that make it seem not so crazy to be optimistic. To make it seem like, oh, we, we got it. We got to figure it out. We're doing well. And... um I think chatting with Alex is a bit of that. And sometimes when you talk with a friend and you feel all up and then they go, oh, no, it's all bad. It's all doom. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You go, oh, you're, you're the smartest person I know and you're saying that. Now my hope is gone. And this seems like one of those unique situations, as you heard Alex talking about it. I don't think anyone knows. I think we all have reason to believe that things could get um, worse and we have reason to believe they could get better. Really interested to see what that super genius does. I... Left out Dr. Lee Wen Liang, that was the name of the guy, and tip of the cap to him. In a movie, he's going to be the character we're all the most devastated that doesn't make it. It's a travesty that, one, he tried to bring it to attention and was kind of silenced, unacceptable, and I hope they do that storyline justice in whatever we're all binging or streaming in a few years from now. Hopefully we're happy and healthy and maybe we're not even watching it because we're outside enjoying fresh air and being around our friends again and giving each other hugs and all of that sort of stuff. So that being said, anyway, as I mentioned, if you want to get in touch, if you're worried, if you have a compromised immune system, or we all have loved ones that are uh, at risk, get in touch. Space underscore cave you can message pings at thespacecave.com. I don't know if we'll be having beer much in the coming days. I'll mostly be Skyping with people. And I use Zoom for this one for the first time. I don't know that the sound quality was great, but a little bit more reliable than Skype. I might try another Skype one just to gauge them to one another. We'll see. But I appreciate um, in the past someone had reached out and mentioned Zoom. And now I don't have her name in front of me, but thank you. And um, obviously thinking of our, our friends, Gene, Ashley, people that are in desperate need of medical care. Uh, and I don't mean desperate in the, like the same way that you would need a respirator, but they need to be able to go get their treatments, go to facilities without there being a line around the block because you wanted to go to spring break or go to a happy hour. So stay in, keep the hospitals as open as possible. 
if that's even still an option where you are. Some places they're already at capacity. We'll get through this together. Humans seem to overcome things pretty consistently. I hope uh, we are all looking back on this together. But there's, there is a risk that um, uh, all of our lives could be dramatically changed by who's, who's still here a, a year from now, I guess. And we'll see. Those are the type of thoughts we're all trying to not have, obviously. But I let them in every now and again. Try to uh, come to terms with them, block them out. I don't want to force them down. I want to be able to uh, to really uh, be able to process what is happening. I don't think anyone can get their mind fully around it. But maybe you're just like playing video games and totally content with like, you know what, the world's crazy no matter what's happening. I'm just doing my thing. And maybe that's the most enviable position to be in if you've developed that kind of mindset. That's great. And if you've done it, call and share. People want to hear about that. If you're, uh, I don't know, I don't have too many um, uh, self-help things other than reading seems to be good. Maybe get a little exercise, try to write or do something productive, even if it's just one thing per day. Uh, Maybe you're working from home, so you're busy and your schedule hasn't changed that much. Maybe you're young and fit. You you can help out a bit. Maybe you could take a, a meal to a homeless person or something from a safe distance, sterilized, obviously, but maybe be thinking in that way. Things are going okay for you. How can you help someone else out? As a community here in the Space Cave, I like to think that's how we think and operate. I hope that's the case. Let me know if you have done things like that. Likely people want to keep that quiet and not draw too much attention. You can message me from a, a Twitter profile. I won't know who you are. You can share your story as it's, it's like an anonymous line where you can uh, tell the world about what you did. Maybe it'll inspire someone else to go do something similarly. Maybe you helped out someone who lives near you that doesn't have uh, either the resources or the physical ability to help help themselves out, help themselves out. So who knows? Just some thoughts. All right. Well, I guess we should play some music and get on out of here. And we lost a musical fixture. Someone we all knew who he was. We certainly all knew a few of the hit songs. And uh feels kind of surreal. I knew a ton of jokes would be coming about like knowing when to fold them. But man, the timing of that is pretty fascinating. But Kenny Rogers, you beauty. I mean, who doesn't know The Gambler? Who hasn't heard that song and likely know at least the major parts of it word for word? Hard to do that. Imagine a planet of this many people and most of them going, Oh, I know this song. That's incredible. But because we all know that song, I'll play You Picked a Fine Time to Leave Me, Lucille. Kenny, we'll miss you. You picked a fine time. It it seems like Ian 81, you didn't want to be here for more of this. Wherever Kenny Rogers and the rest of them are, I hope it's pleasant. And here's some music from Kenny Rogers. Be good to each other. Stay safe out there. Thanks for stopping by the Space Game. Toledo, across from the depot. On a bar stool, she took off her ring. I thought I'd get closer, so I walked on over. I sat down and asked her her name. When the drinks finally hit her, she said, I'm no quitter, but I finally quit living on dreams. I'm hungry for laughter. Here ever after I'm after whatever The other life brings In the mirror
I saw him And I closely watched him I thought how he looked out of place He came to the woman Who sat there beside me He had a strange look on his face The big hands were calloused He looked like a mountain For a minute I thought I was dead But he started shaking His big heart was breaking He turned to the woman and said You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille With four hungry children and a crop in the field I've had some bad times some sad times, but this time your hurting won't heal. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. After he left us, I ordered more whiskey. I thought how she'd made him look small. From the lights of the bar room to a rented hotel room, we walked Without talking at all She was a beauty But when she came to me She must have thought I'd lost my mind I couldn't hold her Cause the words that he told her Kept coming back time after time You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucy Four hungry children and a crop in the field I've had some bad times, lived through some sad times But this time you hurt me Sad times, but this time